Welcome to Mod Pod, the Museum of Dance podcast, where we explore why we dance. I'm your host, Jamie Ray Wright. Today, we're with an artist and educator who has been investigating the role of the African diaspora in concert dance and in the various styles of dance that we uh, know today in concert dance. Uh, he has performed with Robert Moses Ken, uh, Robert Moses, who you met in an earlier broadcast, and we're so happy to have him with us today. The artist, Arvion Jones. Thank you for being here, Arvion. Thank you for having me. Really excited. Well, what I do with every artist that I've interviewed is I try to find out who they are and where they came from, often for our own audience who may or may not know who you are. So I just wanted to know, uh, you know, where's your background? Where do you come from? And uh, how did you find your way into dance? <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I feel like I used to tell this story a lot. And now as I'm getting older, I, as I'm getting older, I'm, per, not, I'm forgetting, but it's nice to revisit that to say it out loud because it just affirms my beliefs and my experience and what I try to relate to my students now. I come from Los Angeles, California. My my family is, uh, I'm Black. Uh, my family is Black and we are descendants of enslaved Africans. My grandmother used to tell me stories all the time as a, as a kid about being raised by her grandmother, who was actually an enslaved woman. And uh, she got her freedom. And once she was freed, uh, she ended up having to raise my grandmother after my grandmother's parents um, died in a car crash. So anyway, I have this lineage is still relevant and still prevalent in my life, Black dance and um, enslavement of African peoples. Um, in LA, I started dance through tap. My first dance language was tap dance, which I did for about 15, 16 years growing up. I continued through college and then I stopped because it just got too hard trying to do all that while trying to get a degree. I went to San Francisco State University where I started my training in ballet, uh, modern and uh, a more codified version of uh, studio jazz. And from there, I began taking classes um, intensely at Lines Ballet in ODC in San Francisco. And I have had the privilege and the blessing to dance with so many people that I've had I've admired. In my training, my training includes tap, hip hop, West African, uh, jazz, uh, ballet, important technique, some Lamon aspects, some Cunningham aspects. Um, I also studied um, West African dance, dances from Nigeria and Ghana, Afro-Cuban and Afro-Brazilian and Afro-Haitian. And then I studied house dance and I vogue and play in that realm of queer Black dance. And yeah, I'm just, I try not to I like I love dance. I just try not to stop it. <laughs> I just try to always be in motion. That's my that's my thing. So. It seems that you really have a comprehensive attitude toward dance and finding all the different styles that you can come in contact with yeah. and adding them to your repertoire. Yeah. Let's go back to the uh, tap thing. What, what what attracted you to tap? Okay, um, so my I also play football um, and I run track, and it just got it, it got too expensive. I have a twin brother. It got too expensive, so my mother is trying to figure out like what can we do to like. Uh, get my kids moving because we were uh, borderline diabetic. My family struggled with diabetes and, and health issues. It's like uh, normal black things that are in my in my my hereditary my heritage. And so uh, my mother, she they had a tap studio in uh, L.A. downtown L.A. Um, Universal Dance Designs, um, and they were enrolling. And uh, we couldn't afford the classes, but we worked out a deal with our studio owner, Miss Arlene Kennedy and Paul Kennedy that if we cleaned the studio, we would get free classes, um, similar to waxing at lines. And I took my first class and I cried because it was really, really hard. But then uh, I remember my teacher holding my hand and just 
you know, doing the step with me. And it was just like a drawback. It's a simple pullback step. Um, and then I was hooked. It was just like dancing and making music. It was like what every little boy wants to do, like beat on the drums and then like, you know, stomp your feet. So, <laughs> was, uh, that was uh, fun for me because I got to hear myself dancing. <laughs> so how old were you when you uh, first started? Um, I was just turning eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Did any, uh, anyone from the tap world as you study mm-hmm. you know were you inspired by folks like arthur duncan or um the nicholas brothers harold and harold and fair nicholas their granddaughters were students at my studio so they were always prevalent um and me and my twin brother's life they weren't twins but me and my twin brother were always like we have to be like them and then their granddaughters were there and they're like looking at us like you guys are gonna do it <laughs> they're, they're really nice about it but those two harold and fair and then obviously uh savion glover i say christopher broughton um he's on uh, he has been on broadway but he was my primary teacher chloe arnold um Darmisha edwards so many so many diane walker there's so so many tap people in my life that have just affirmed me so much it makes tap is its own universe it is so welcoming so anyway yeah <laughs> well interestingly enough there's a connection between the nicholas brothers and lines really uh lauren porter who was with lines in the early 2000s, late 90s. Wow. She's now Lauren Worth. Wow. Uh, is a uh, niece. Really? Of one of the Nicholas brothers. Well, well, they, they definitely know Kathy and Nicole. <laughs> Kathy yeah. and Nicole Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure That's they do. Awesome. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Uh, was your inspiration or aspiration? Mm-hmm. You know, you see the tap in film, you see tap on Broadway. Is that something that was in your mind at the time? Yeah, in my, in my mind, I thought I was going to do tap forever. And then my director, she passed and I threw my shoes away. I was a sophomore in college um, and I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore because she was kind of the, she was like, like a mom to me in tap. Um, and I just couldn't see myself doing it. I tried, I tried taking class in San Francisco and it's like, it isn't the same. So um, I threw my shoes away. I recently bought a new pair right before the pandemic started. I bought a new pair and I haven't put them on yet. I'm a little nervous. I, I know what I used to be like, kind of like how girls are with point shoes or whatever. But I, I know what I used to be like. And just going back into that, I know there's a huge amount of rigor and effort. I don't tap in the way that traditional tappers think. Um, my studio, we were hoofers. We're more um, focused on rhythmic tap and polyrhythmic um, sounds. So the lines, the jazz line and dance was there, but the musicality was what was paramount. It was the most important thing to have really clear musicality and for me the way i was trained in tap it's really hard to do that without doing it every day because you have to work on those muscles in your calves your feet swell they cramp it's, it's actually a really rigorous technique <laughs> the way i was trained so i try to respect it but I'm, eventually i will put my shoes on and i will figure out something <laughs> well i really know very little about tap except what i see in the movies yeah. so it, it's that rhythm tap yeah. i'm sure seeing young glover i yes. think is yeah, obviously that person. Yeah, Gregory Hines, Savion Glover, Darmisha Edwards, uh, Chloe Arnold. There's another one who's doing a lot of stuff with New York City Ballet. Even like Fred Astaire sometimes. Like, you know, Fred Astaire, he gives a lot. Like, he he loves a good jazz line. He's very technical. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean about hoofing, hoofing. While Fred Astaire is a lot of jazz line and like clear line and like clear positions. Um, his feet were so polyrhythmic and so like, there was like an instrument. And uh, hoofing, that, that version of tap is about clear sounds and um, being really articulate with what's coming from your feet. 
and like tricks and things come and there is like an outward performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but my teacher stressed the musicality. That was, she said, it should sound like one tap shoe. If there's a room for 50 people, it should sound like one tap shoe. Mm. So <laughs> that was our, our training. <laughs> you know, I remember a, uh, Fred Astaire film in which he was actually yeah. using drumsticks and mm-hmm. the, uh, his, his tapping on with it. He's mm-hmm. done things with other props with the uh, brooms and other things yeah. where the rhythm really is uh, the musicality, yeah. the, the give and take, just like a, a, like a small jazz combo between playing, his yeah. hands and his feet. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting that uh, that's the approach that he took it. A lot of people at that time did we're not. not taking. And to me, that's I could you you think about Fred Astaire that you he he loved it so much. He was you can tell that he was willing to learn and and he adapted new perspective into what he was interested in. And to me, that's what I care about. Because it's like nobody has all the answers, but it's like knowing that, like, hey, I could apply this to my style. Anyway, Fred Astaire, I love Fred Astaire. Regardless of whatever, I love Fred Astaire. He's a he's a beautiful dancer. Mm-hmm. Not a big Gene Kelly fan, but I'm a big Fred Astaire fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like uh, uh, Marianne or Ginger, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, moved on to college yeah. and started to widen your, your perspective on, on dance. Yeah. And was it something you, you said, well, let me just dive in mm-hmm. and learn as much as I can? Or did certain things really pop for you? And it was became a road mm-hmm. where you said, well, this led to that, which <laughs> led to another thing. Well, yeah. Um, I didn't realize things that I was getting in my studio, like with the Haitian and the Dunham and the West Africa, I didn't realize they existed anywhere else. I had a very narrow view of dance. So mm-hmm. when I went to college, I was like, oh, these classes exist here. But I, before that, I started, the first class I took was a ballet class mm-hmm. um, with Wendy Diamond. And she was the one that encouraged me to become a dance major because she saw that I was I was a business major at first. And I kept sneaking out to go, um, sneaking from my business class to go take class at, at in the gym. And she's like, you need to just be a major if you're going to be here. Um, and I was like, okay. And me, silly, not knowing like what the, what that encompasses. <laughs> anyway, I took ballet. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I. While I do take class in ballet, I did not know that I was not necessarily going to have a career in ballet. I just thought if I went to class and I did it, then I would be a performer. You know, you grow up and you learn that, like, oh, you have to have this type of body type. You have to have this type of training, this type of flexibility, whatever. Blah 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 blah. blah. But then um, after ballet, um, she, Wendy encouraged me to take. Um, other classes. She's like, go take class in the city, blah, blah, blah. And I took class with Kat Worthington, now Kat Roman. Uh, she teaches Horton. Um, and I took jazz with Alicia Pierce, Dr. Alberta Rose, and Ann Barrett. And uh, they were always all super encouraging because of my tap background. They saw that in me. All three of those women saw my tap background, even in all of the music. Alicia Pierce, before she passed, she was very much always loving my musicality. Um, Dr. Alberta Rose, she made me dance on one of her pieces on stage in my tap shoes. Um, and Ann Barrett, we told her when she's teaching at City Ballet, um, me and my brother, she was like, yeah, I can definitely tell you guys have a musical, a musical background because you're so on top of the music. And I, I didn't realize that jazz and tap had that crossover until those teachers really encouraged that in me. And then after that, it was, it was kind of like, I want to try everything. I've taken everybody's class. I've danced for a lot of companies in the Bay Area. Lee Wei Chow was one of the major influences in my my dancing career. He was the first person I feel like that saw me for what I had and pushed me in what I had. Um, and I just try to make that band proud every day because he has such a love for dance and the way he relays his messages, his messages come from such a 
a generous perspective. It's such a loving place to be in his in Li Wei Chao's ballet class. I love his I love his classes. Uh, Robert Moses Ken, um, obviously, Robert Moses is such a profound, clear, articulate artist, and he has such a very distinct viewpoint in the Black experience. So yeah, I, these are all the people that have played major roles in, I feel like, my my life and my upbringing. Ray Taddeo, also just Jazz and Horton. Jamie Wright, I danced for Jamie Wright. I, I'm forgetting, I danced for Jamie Wright like three times. I've danced Jamie Wright for three times, partnered people. The first time I ever partnered with someone in a point shoe was in Jamie's piece. I was like, oh my God, he's trusting me to do this. I had like one partnering semester. <laughs> he's like, yes, partner this woman. And I'm like, okay. So dance with Jamie. He was one of the first people that allowed me to dance to jazz on stage outside of a college setting, which I never got a chance to do that. I didn't realize I could dance on stage and do jazz because it seemed like there was an aversion to jazz music in the Bay Area. I knew we had a whole history about the Fillmore. I knew we had a whole Black community. But as I was growing in the Bay Area, I did not see Black people um, and I did not hear the jazz that everybody was talking about. And Jamie was the first person that put me on stage and used jazz music. That wasn't minstrelsy or like slapstick. It was like hearty, meaty jazz. So thank you for encouraging that. (laughs) Well, thank you for dancing (laughs) in my experience. (laughs) For dancing in my pieces, you know. uh, I have a deep and abiding love of jazz music. And uh, and have a uh, an almost political view of yes. its role within the Black diaspora and how it is, uh, you know, how it, how it's seen yeah. and the ways that it's been uh, diluted in, in some ways, you know, things with like Quiet Storm and that, that's a mm-hmm. whole nother podcast. Mm-hmm. But, quiet uh, Storm. <laughs> but uh, yes, I really appreciate that. I, I, I had no idea yeah. that that was, that was your first entree into that or that... Uh, you didn't, and you are right. There is a hostility to jazz in the Bay Area, or, or just a, a lack of appreciation of jazz in the Bay Area. I'm still fighting a good fight, putting using jazz music and uh, putting it together with a uh, with a uh, ballet and contemporary. Yeah, I think we have. I think we have a lot of like pioneers that are like using jazz aspects and using jazz in the Bay Area. We have Alonzo King and Greg Dawson, you. Um, and I'm just trying to be an educator of the jazz language. I don't use it that much in contemporary dance, but I do understand that it's necessary um, because we're dancing in front of people and people need to be engaged. Like we can't always, in contemporary dance, we can't always be so internal. So I think jazz is such a useful tool and it is innately political. Um, it's a political art form. Henry Ford called it, called it, I might be misquoting him, but essentially he called it Satan's music. Um, Josephine Baker essentially saved the world as a spy touring Europe as a jazz dancer. She was, she was a spy for the Allies <laughs> and, and saved the, like, essentially helped save the world. And people just throw jazz around against this silly thing. I'm like, no, she was entertaining people and educating them and spying. Like, she was ed- educating the world about her Blackness and her queerness using jazz. Jazz is so political and Sorry, I've been going a big no, rant. It's, it's fine. It's fine. You know, we're we're talking about various aspects of, of this and how, you know, it, it's it has a big influence on the culture, and it also is a, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a means of expression for mm-hmm. folks like the Miles Davis, whose father mm-hmm. was the richest black man in in Missouri wow. at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and everyone looks at uh, sometimes they look at black musicians or they look at black dancers and say. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, God, they, they just have that innate talent. But no, there's a lot of training. You know, mm-hmm. Miles went to Juilliard. Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, 
to, 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 to toss it up to like, oh, you just innately like it. Like when you do that, you saying that you can't replicate what you just did or you can't, you're not able to codify anything that, that you did and reproduce it. And, that, and to me, I think that's distinctly that's the difference between European art and uh, Afro-based, Afrocentric based art is that there in European based art, there is this need to reproduce and to have a repertoire. I feel enough that jazz doesn't have that, enough that black folks don't have that because we definitely tell stories and we definitely have that that a part of our heritage. But there is this improvisational um, component and this this we we're not so caught up in temporal art like and we um, we we not we not we not not that we aren't so caught up we are we're more accepting of temporal art we're more accepting of things being like it, it, ha- it can happen in the middle of the day and then they never happen again, but the feeling will, will stay with you forever. And I think that is something that's been prevalent in my life and in all the black performers that I've seen dance and express and the jazz music that I've listened to when people go on stage, it may not be exactly what's on the CD, but how I leave feeling from watching or hearing, I'm just like blown away. Anyway, that was a, a big long winded <laughs> moment. Well, Thank you for the shout out yeah. as far as your work with me. I truly appreciate that. And it really brings up questions about, you know, our approach to to the to the uh, art form itself. For example, uh, did you find those elements within your earlier teachers? Uh, and Barrett, uh, I think Ann Barrett being a musical theater type person. Yeah. I don't remember Miss Pierce. Alicia Pierce. Um, she was one of Catherine Dunham's main dancers. Um, and so was uh, Dr. Alberta Rose. They, I'm sorry. Um, well, yes. At, when when I was training with them, m- music was the primary. Like, because jazz dance and jazz music goes like they they don't exist without each other. Like you 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 hear the music and it and and it it, it permeates your body and then you have to express it. It's just it just I don't know how to say it except that. That's how I grew up. And because I grew up that way by a Black woman raised me, um, these other two Black women, they completely understood that. So oftentimes I would be in class and they would cut on some music and they would just have me dance. They would just say, just move to it. And I, I would completely understand what they meant. And then they would, they would like, you know, put steps to it. And then they would make me work at it. It was like, okay, so now that you're doing this, go farther with it. Like, really get down, really hold, really you know, extend to the farthest capacity, really interpret the music right here. And yeah, the training is a little different because I'm not just holding my leg out for like 20 minutes. But uh, I think that training is is so important because I feel like I'm a very, a very clear, expressive dancer. I'm a very generous dancer. I mean, I know stuff that it's sometimes it can be very hard to get to that place, even though some dancers are technically so adept. They don't know how to express past what their limbs tell them to do. Yeah, there are some people I, I have seen on stage yeah. who are exceptional, yeah. in a, especially in the ballet, you see it in the ballet world. Yeah. They're exceptional uh, technicians. Yeah. But you feel absolutely nothing from, yeah. from coming off the stage. Uh, and there are other folks who are, may not have as much there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they miss something. Yeah. And as a person who, you know, steeped in ballet, yeah. I can see, well, you missed that. Yeah. But you missed that in a good way. Yeah. And you took that you took that mistake and you took it somewhere else yeah. and didn't didn't even worry about that. It wasn't like I missed this step and I uh, don't know what to do. Yeah. I missed this step and it gave me another opportunity to it, say something else. I think that is I think that is it's just like outside of jazz, I think that in dance, that is so important. I think that 
first welcome welcome beautiful mistakes Lele said it all the time he's like like it's mistakes are like and my teacher my Ray says like these aren't mistakes they're choices they're just like you just allow yourself to experience that moment it's like yeah maybe some days you'll be on your leg you pull off you know four turns maybe other days it's, it's just a really smooth single or maybe like you come out of a turn a little different but the choice after that is what's really going to connect you to the audience and just like having a general like playfulness with dance is only going to help fortify your technical training and how you perform on stage the moment you, for me, I find the moment that you get to this place where you have to hunker down and get so serious, and it's all about this technical execution. It's like you're, it's like you're dancing for dancers or you're dancing for yourself. Which I, I mean, I guess that's important, but oftentimes I don't think we dance for, you know, other dancers to watch us, or we dance necessarily for people that are like, you know, super educated on dance. I find that when I dance, I dance for people that may not have, you know, the most clearest or the most you know, extended education and dance. So they really just want to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And if you are able to do that and you're, you know, able to pull off maybe some a couple technical feats here or there, great. But it's really about the playfulness and engaging the audience and really being there with them in the moment. Exactly. So, sorry. That's no, a long one. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Not at all. Being, being in the moment is is very, very important. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to some dancers I've worked with in the past who, uh, who have, have who struggled with that. Yeah. Uh, some of them struggle with it conceptually, mm-hmm. where they said, nope, yeah. give me the steps, yeah. and then I'll add that later. Yeah. Or some have uh, just struggled with it, where yeah. I guess I don't know where to go. I don't have, it's, it, the, the ground beneath me is too sandy. Oh, I see. You yeah. know, it, it, I feel like I don't, I don't have any firm foundation to yeah. to work with. And you need you need technique and that sort of thing to, uh, yeah. to, to move on but once you're you know actually making work once you're performing work yeah. you just let go yeah you have to like don't get i think you get people get trapped i i see it and some colleagues i see them trapped in this technique and i'm like oh i'm so sorry that that's what your training ended up making you believe about yourself that like you're not good enough i'm sorry that you believe that if you don't execute this that you are not a good dancer for me, that's not my experience. I know that without a studio, without a stage, I'm going to dance in my living room till the day I die. <laughs> I love dance so much. I don't need to be in front of people to dance. And I and I think that, I, and I believe, and I think, I believe that I am a really good dancer because I feel good when I'm dancing. Um, and, you know, not that I don't get worried on stage, not that I don't have all these things that I want to, you know, I want to do well, but I, I also... I'm at an age now where I'm not going to allow myself to get trapped in a step and let that step define my whole career. Like it's not important to me. <laughs> so what I can't do 32 fuertes, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'll figure something else out. I'll roll to the floor and make someone cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, go, let's go back to LA for a moment. Yeah. Did you know about Dunham and the other mm-hmm. folks at that time? Were, were they part of your life? Um, I did denim technique um, growing up with Anindo Marshall, um, who was a student of Dr. Arboda Rose, um, who was also my college professor. Dr. Arboda Rose was one of the main, um, the last like cohort of Catherine Denham before Catherine Denham died. So um, studying under Anindo Marshall, I got a lot of really foundational denim technique, which is really similar to ballet because Catherine Denham codified her technique um, to be reminiscent of ballet, but also incorporate Haitian rhythms. And so before I understood what fifth position was, I was already doing a fifth position. Before I understood first position, 
I was already doing a, a first position on, on by second position. But then I came to balance like, oh, this is similar to what I knew. So palms out for yeah, palms out for denim te- te- uh, for denim technique, and then palms in for, for ballet. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And um, well, everyone has the same body. Yeah, right? exactly. So a, a core is a core is a core. So you could be uh, doing, you know, Navajo uh, mm-hmm. uh, ring dances, or you could be doing uh, ballet. You could be doing court dances, or you could be doing Dunham. You still need to be able to engage your core. Exactly, one hundred percent. So uh, yeah, Dunham. Dunham has so, been there forever. Yeah. So it's been there in, in, in LA. Yeah, you're very interesting thing about the Dunham group. If you want to see just a little bit, and then they have stuff out there mm. on on DVD and the like. But the, this really silly movie, "Live and Let Die," oh, was yeah. set in Haiti. Oh, really? And the uh, village and everything was the Dunham Company. Really? And they they had an extended dance, uh, an extended dance sequence in that movie I, I, and, and jeffrey holder was yes oh, well. yes 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 love jeffrey holder love jeffrey holder i feel like my teachers told me to watch this and i don't think i watched it i was probably a bad student because i was like i just want to learn the steps um, <laughs> but, um i need to go watch that because as i'm getting older i love like the the like anthropology of dance i love watching like the history and like seeing how much has grown mm-hmm. um so yeah like what's it called again live and let die live and let die i would go it's, it's problematic on a racial basis yeah but well, you hey it has their own history like, yeah yeah, and, yeah the caribbean we're like yeah still working through that <laughs> but it, it, it's very interesting to see a company hired to uh to be the uh, extras here and to create a piece for that I think she was still alive at the time. Yeah. It was like 1973. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was still around and yeah. uh, quite an opportunity. I, I think the Dunham Company shows up in movies all the time. Yeah. Whenever they're set in Haiti, then they would call up Catherine Dunham and the company uh-huh. come do a uh, set piece for them. Miss Dunham knew what she was doing. Like, yeah, she certainly like did. we, I don't feel like she gets her flowers as much as she needs to. Like, we give all this to, like, and I love Alvin Ailey. You know, I love, you know, Lamone, Merce, all these. I love Martha. I love all of them. Great. But Miss Dunham, she don't get the flowers she needs to get. That woman, not only did she codify an entire technique as a Black woman, she was a cultural anthropologist. And she incorporated ballet and Haitian dance into one technique, which is, they're like polar opposites. Like you have all these undulations and like body rolls and head rolls, and then you have this very stark, stern, like, you know, steady held movement. And she made it flow so effortlessly into a once like streamlined technique. And her dancers get strong. I've seen dancers hop across the room with their leg to their ear, it, like on one leg. Like I've seen denim dancers do that. And I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's fabulous. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Denim technique is one of the hardest techniques I've ever done in my life. And I wish I would have kept up much running with that. Sorry, that was a tangent. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. We're, that's what we're here for. We're just here having a conversation. Uh, as far as you, you so as you moved into college, mm-hmm. And you, you told me a little bit about your jazz uh, experience there and other contemporary and modern. What, how, how did that incorporate into your, your knowledge and your technique? Um, well, I think ballet. Ballet was definitely the, the most foreign out of all of that. Like ballet, because I didn't take any ballet before college. So it was the most foreign. When it came to modern and jazz, like, I may not have known what this, the name of the step, but because I took hip hop and because I like I dance with my family like all the time, this like a lot of the steps 
they looked like something I had known before. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was easy to pick up because I was like, oh, like I see someone like move their hips a certain way. I'm like, oh, this looks like what I do at home. Or this looks like something in hip hop. Um, and I would just like apply it. And then my teacher come like, oh, no, point your feet. Like don't stick up, blah, blah, blah. And I would get like, you know, correction. But it wasn't like all of dance was foreign to me. Like all are all types of dance was foreign to me. I had because I was had been moving for and I had been moving consistently for such a long period of time. Like it meant I had been like in a formal studio, but because my family was so pro dance, it just my, I was kinesthetically. I think kinesthetically, I, I'm adept in that way. Like I just I I understand movement and I can get my body to do certain things that may be harder for people that are. Not natural movers, I guess. Um, well, I think that's very much a part of the African American experience. I agree. You know, uh, yes. you know, the black church, I especially agree. those those uh, hardcore Pentecostal churches, where mm-hmm. all of a sudden the, the organ or the piano swells and everyone gets out of their seat and they are uh, yep. they're moving. And they're not afraid. You don't have to coach them or. Uh, Exactly. Uh, coax them out onto out to the floor. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to move, and they've been moving since they were children. Exactly. Uh, without having any embarrassment about it, and without other people making fun of them yeah. if they quote make a wrong step or something along that line. Exactly. And I think it's something that other cultures don't have, which is uh, a shame. Yeah, it's a shame, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a rich connection to dance, and I've noticed for Black people, like it's so. It's like hand in hand with our culture. There's not no no point I feel in history has dance really been separated from Black people. We may not have been allowed to do it, but it's always been like some of the like our saving grace and you know, like our our spirit is in our our movement and our dancing. So yeah, yeah it's it's it's, it's yeah. so interesting. Going back to uh, you know we talked a little bit about jazz. Yeah, you talk about Congo Square in yeah. New Orleans, mm-hmm. where you know once a week. Yeah. On a day off, yeah. the uh, slaveholders will allow the slaves to have their way mm-hmm. in Congo Square. And I think that probably parts of that are the basis of jazz, jazz dance. Yes, right? for sure. For sure. I think, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of history and, and like speculation about the origins of jazz. Um, for me, knowing how jazz showed up in my life, um, I really believe it happened in the kitchen, I think, or like in the living room or like outside with like a group of people just like hanging out and they hear some music and they just start dancing. You know, they're, you know, you can say it came from like the hymns and the gospel, but I think before Christianity was translated or before all these things were relayed to enslaved Africans, the dance was there and music was already there. It came music came with them. They, you can't take music from someone's body. They weren't allowed to like make music and they weren't allowed to slap on their bodies and weren't allowed to do things. But you know, that um that resilience that stayed inside of them. And so it was just waiting to come out. And you know, I I, I completely 100 percent believe in the African continuum. And so while I haven't taken a, a lot of West African classes, West, West African movement is not difficult for me because I feel like that's a part of my DNA. Like it's just inside of me. Like I understand the African six, eight, I understand, um, you know, the, 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 the pendulum swinging of the arms and like, you know, using the head and isolating the lower, the lower pelvis, which may be foreign to European folks. Cause they, they, it's not a part of their culture. But for me, even though I'm not from West Africa, but as a black person, like this just makes sense to me, just isolating my chest and moving my, like, they just completely understand what that is. 
Well, this is something that we do on the dance floor at, you know, the high school sock hop. Exactly. Uh, or the, you know, the, the rent party. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the things things that were very much a part of, uh, yeah. uh, part of my culture is growing up, you yeah. know, knowing things about that sort of thing. And uh, yeah. not, not being, just not being afraid yeah. to, not being afraid to, quote, look ugly. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And I think there's a great emphasis on the European styles yeah. of dance. It's a correct. The is correct. there's a correct way to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a correct profile. Yeah. There's a way to. Uh, that's why you have you know have mirrors in the, in yeah. the rooms yeah. of a ballet studio because yeah. you're trying to do it correctly. Yeah. As opposed to just doing, just doing it and not worrying about how it looks because if it flows from you and if it's an honest and exactly an honest expression. People are going to find it beautiful. Exactly. And, you know, I feel like that is trying to be replicated again through Gaga. And I'm like, that's the reason I can't really. And I, I, I'm happy that Gaga exists for people. I'm happy that people are able to experience that, the improvisation of, of Gaga and experiencing bones in the body and honest movement, mm-hmm. authentic movement is what they call it. But that's my entire life. And there wasn't a name. There wasn't a name for it. It was just like you said, it was if it flows from you and it's honest then it's going to catch on. People are like, oh, you're going to draw attention. You're going to get accolades from the people that are dancing with you. Maybe we should have branded and put a trademark on it. Uh-huh. Afro Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your, Matt Axe, what was your um, first experience with jazz? Well, uh, jazz music was in my house constantly from, from birth. Oh. That's, the, that's the home music that my parents mm. listened to. And I'm a, you know, very music guy. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, Robert Moses and I would play a game. I don't know you wouldn't notice it, but sometimes mm-hmm. during class, Robert would uh, whisper in my ear. Mm-hmm. He would say, "I bet you don't know what this is, boy." <laughs> and then I, I, I would have to guess what he is playing. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you know, it was one of those. That's mm-hmm. it. I came to dance late. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is again not about me. It's about you, Arvion. No, <laughs> but, but I came to dance late. Mm-hmm. But I've you know I've always been dancing again informally throughout yeah. my my life. I also am a musician, so that gives me a connection to yeah. music. I play guitar and drums. Right, right. So being able to understand, being able hearing so much music growing up, my 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 dad has over a thousand records. I have over a thousand records. Wow. Uh, Lord knows what we're gonna do with them. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. But, uh, just listening constantly to all kinds of things mm-hmm. and most of that music i was listening to was jazz and bebop yeah uh, so that's that's sort of where my aesthetic comes from yeah and wanting to assert the place of african americans in in the culture here mm-hmm. by uh constantly talking about the jazz experience and, and jazz music mm-hmm. and saying you know it's not it's not no, 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 uh, you know, no putting down hip hop, but it that's not what we are exactly. That's not all we and are. Jazz came first. There, there is a, uh, yeah. there is a, a codified academic mm-hmm. way of, of going about these things. You know, right. a lot of the first, a lot of the first fathers of this stuff was uh, were people who went either to a conservatory, mm-hmm. to a kind of conservatory, uh, experience yeah. or yeah. more often one guy in the neighborhood went to the conservatory mm-hmm. and then taught all the kids yeah, taught them how to write yeah exactly no definitely 
somebody, yeah. Because, well, I think I, I would, I challenge that. And I would like to say the first, I feel like the first conservatory for a lot of Black people was the Black church and the Black home. Absolutely. I think that was the first conservatory because the mimic, mimicking sounds and mimicking someone's voice. Because also, like, we talk about dance, but we also have to talk about voice and singing. In my family, I can't hold a note. Like, I mean, I can hold a note, but I can't sing anything. <laughs> but it's it, but you 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 had to sing like in my in my household like if a song came on you had to hum you had to like try to make the sounds and try to mimic that someone was dancing in the kitchen someone was dancing outside someone was dancing like you naturally want to mimic that it may not be the best you know or but as long as authentic and honest and you try to mimic that you're learning that's you're processing information and that is what you do at a conservatory. Someone gives you information, they challenge you with it, and you have to investigate it, and you have to go for it with it. You have to, you know, put your own spin on it, which is jazz. That's play. That's the the definition of what jazz is. So, um, yeah, the first sorry, the first conservatory, in my opinion, is the 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 black church and the black home. I think is for black people. Then someone leaves, goes get, go get to a formal education, learns how to use the the white man's the European base. Um, writing system or whatever or version or whatever and then teaches the whole community and then we have yeah that's, <laughs> i mean that's how we learn from learn yeah we learn from somebody yeah. who was a professor yeah uh informally professor yeah uh this guy gone to conservatory and came back and was giving lessons yeah. to kids in the neighborhood yeah uh, but yeah i mean it's just looking at that history and looking at how it's how it came together looking at uh you know guys like duke ellington whose music i use yeah, a lot yeah. as you know love duke uh love duke looking at uh a guy like uh uh cap calloway who's a law oh. school dropout oh yeah cap oh my god yes cap calloway duke uh love miles and cap i don't know if you have seen this film but he 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 moves on stage really he dances on stage oh yeah yeah it's like that yeah, yeah. Well, not, not, not only a shit but even Big wide steps and turns really? and, and things. I will send you something now. Definitely. And maybe I'll put a link in the uh yeah. in the podcast here so other people can take a look at it as yeah. well. But uh there there was a, a dance element to Cavs earlier work in, in the early 1930s. I love that. I mean, uh, I think that it makes so much sense with black culture. You can't hear music and not dance. <laughs> yes. But uh, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting how how, how this music plays itself out and you see folks who are appropriators and i'm not sure mm-hmm. where these folks uh, uh stand mm-hmm. uh, another jazz person uh who i'll be interviewing later mm-hmm. uh has introduced me to jack cole directly i've mm-hmm. been seeing jack cole's work all through the years without knowing who it was you know not really mm-hmm. just catching a name to it but this man's done so much choreography and film yeah and I'm looking at it and I say, wow, there's a lot of ethnic appropriation mm-hmm. in his uh, in his choreography. One thousand fifty million percent. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, you 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 do know Jack Cole, so mm-hmm. I mean, how how do you react to that? Um, well, so a lot of my professors, oh, not a lot, my professor um, Ray Tadio, um, he's taught me some things. He's trained under Jack Cole mathematics, uh, and yeah, even Ann Barrett used to use some of the Jack Cole um, vocabulary. Um, and it's not really Jack Cole's vocabulary. So Jack Cole studied under Ruth St. Dennis. A lot of people don't know this. People throw around Jack Cole like he's the originator of jazz. And I, they, they say he's the father of jazz. And I disagree. Well, they, say that they also said Paul Whiteman was the king of jazz. So. Yeah. 
And I, that sounds crazy. You sound insane because as soon as you put a black body in the space and you put on the music, you soon will soon will realize that you are not, not a master of jazz because what's going to happen is they're going to innately interpret the music and you're going to have to try to regurgitate that and it's not going to happen. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Jack Cole had uh, under Ruth Saints, who was a known appropriator for, for um, East Asian, um, Southeast Asian um idioms like uh, mudras and hand gestures. Um, she was known to um, to uh, use that in her movement. And then she went to uh, Dineshan um, and he studied under her. He left there and made his own style of jazz. I guess that was common for people to try to make their own techniques back then. Yes. Um, he left and did that. And he brought some of those mudras and hand gestures with him and threw them, threw them in his jazz technique. And this now it's the Jack Cole style of jazz. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, that's crazy that you just stole a whole culture. You 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 stole a regurgitated version of a culture and put it in your jazz technique. And that culture still has not benefited from what you've done, like all the things that you've done with their with their movement language. It is very reminiscent of the black body and black creativity in America. And like, while I do teach, I think it's important to teach like that version of studio jazz because it's prevalent everywhere. I definitely um, counteract that with the history. Every time I teach it, I always say Jack Cole was a known interpreter of East Asian idioms. Are they accurate? I don't know. But what I do know is that they're not of his culture and he put them in his jazz form. And so we can thank Southeast Asian cultures for these idioms, these hand gestures. Um, it, it's very, I mean, Ruth, I look at Ruth say Dennis' stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it. it's really cringy. Yeah, I hate it. It's really cringy. Everybody loves it. I'm like, this is crazy. Why am I learning about this woman? She looks crazy. <laughs> um, Jack Cole, you know, yeah. a, a, every jazz person I know yeah. reveres him. And uh, I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to learn about it. I, I've seen some of, 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 of his bits and I say, wow, yeah. this, this is amazing stuff. He, yeah, I, I think uh, quintessential is Diamond Sarah Girl's best friend. Yeah, that bit. Yeah, uh, still the uh, palms up, yeah. palms out, yeah. hand gesture kind of thing is uh, was something that was a uh, trademark of his. Yeah, I think like also with like Lester Horton and like you know like I think codifying a technique of a captain like we talked about Captain Dunham like. He wasn't really extraordinary to me because all, a lot of white men did that. A lot of white women did that. They, they went and made a technique and people, they had followers. They had, a, they, had a, they had a legion of people that wanted to dance like them or move like them, whatever. Um, it's with that not being so phenomenally extraordinary, it is phenomenal to create a, a technique and to codify a technique and to have a point A to point Z, you know, curriculum. I think creating a curriculum and you know, an outcome and learning outcomes and trans- translating that and then seeing that on a body, I think that's amazing. I think that, wow, that's great. Uh, but the authenticity and the theft is to me is the problem. Um, well, I, I, have, I have a question about that and I, yeah. I struggle with. Yeah. At what point is it someone seeing something they like and using it? Mm-hmm. And at what point is it is it theft? I mean, I'm not European. Yeah, right. So I, I I but I use ballet technique in my right in my right uh, in, in, my, in my work. Have I done something? No, I think I think that comes when you don't play with it and you don't alter it. 
So if you just take something that you see and you're like, I'm going to use this in my technique. Oh, that was awesome. Let me just use this in my technique. And I just start making weird gestures with my hands that I think are reminiscent of East Asian cultures, which is problematic. But if I just see something from another culture and I just do it and throw it in my technique and, 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 and put it off as if it's mine and just you know, present it to the world. Because, you know, we have to also remember at this time that East Asian cultures, East Asian people were not in the forefront of the dance community and they were not, they didn't really maintain any power in the arts. No. So who, when, when, pe- when people were being exposed, when the audience was being exposed to this information, a white man was exposing them to this information. And so he's just passing it off like it's his. So it is stuff. Because not only is he just passing it off like it's his, he's also making money. He's also funding his company. He's also becoming this big star. He's also now, you know, crowned king father, you know, Jack Cole. I think it does not become theft when you see something and you alter it and you play with it and you you incorporate it, but you don't just regurgitate it. I, I think regurgitating something is, you know, that you're parroting. You're just being a parrot. But like how the Oxford Dictionary says, um, um, the verb of jazz is to play. And when I think of play, I think of, it may not be exactly what somebody else did, but it's similar. And so like thinking of my my upbringing growing up, my grandmother would dance and my mom would dance in the kitchen. My brothers would dance in the kitchen. I, I couldn't do exactly what they did, but I try to do what they did. And I think in the, in the Black community that's celebrated, it's celebrated to put your own spin on things. It's celebrated to um, see it and then uh, tr- try to add some of your own personality into it. Um, because nobody, because then if you just do what somebody else just did, it's like, oh, they already seen that. It's not exciting. I, I don't need, like, you know, so-and-so did that last week. That's an old dance step. But when you do it and you add your own flavor to it, then it's like, oh, like, that was kind of like this, but different. Like, I think for me, I think that that's the best version, the best way that I can explain that is that when you play with it and you alter it to your own perspective and you present your perspective while using aspects of something that you may have seen, I think that that is authentic because you're appreciating that um, thing instead of just presenting that raw idea as being yours when it's not yours. Yeah. Is that long-winded? No, <laughs> I think that was long. It, it, it's, a, it's a good answer. Yeah. And I think that now that you're saying this, and now again, I'm learning. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm learning from you. I don't think you're learning. I, 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 I compare what I've seen from Jack Cole yeah. to Fosse. Yeah. And I see Fosse doing something completely new. Yeah. And I see Jack Cole as sort of taking East Asian, Southeast Asian dance mm-hmm. and uh and just incorporating it into the jazz music. But the one thing that he did, I think, and that's is he, he made it ex- accessible to an audience that may not who may have found the, the, the real deal too spicy. Uh you're saying Jack Cole? I'm saying, I'm saying Jack Paul, yeah. Yeah. And the same thing, you know, with uh, with Paul. I mean, with I don't know if he Paul, Paul Whiteman. He had an orchestra in New York. Oh, yes, yes, I've heard the same, yes. And, you know, his music was, is a smooth out version of mm-hmm. what was going on in Harlem. And in fact, his, the people who would play with him during yeah. it yeah. in his concert, you know, his, he, he would have a 9, 8, 9 p.m. show. Yeah. And his best players, some of those people became famous in the 1930s yeah. after it worked. Yeah. First thing they do, they they hop a uh, yeah. subway to Harlem and play at a after hours club. Yeah. And say, wow, now I can really play well, music. Everybody always wants the black body. Everybody wants the black body. Everybody, not black body. Everybody wants the blackness, the, the black ingenuity, the, the black creativity without the black body. That's what everybody wants. 
it's like the moment that you know we see <coughs> um a white presenting person you know do something that is very common in the black community um you know the white presenting person gets a pass you talk about elvis right yeah. elvis we elvis is big now because elvis coming out with a movie but you know elvis goes out and starts gyrating his pelvis and doing all these crazy things meanwhile the entire black community is like this is literally us on a Tuesday. Like you're not special, Elvis. I, because... I literally had this very same conversation with Robert Moses yeah. earlier today. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the truth. It's and that's that's not just it. It's like we talk about even like the black sound, like the runs and the riffs and like you know the big voice and like the texture of our voice. <clears throat> we see that being replicated in a lot of different artists and a lot of different singers these days. And and you know you know all these jazz musicians running around you know trying to replicate things they hear from like Duke and like. You know, while they are playing with it and putting their own spin on it, um, I find that without a black body in the space, it's easily digestible and there's no convincing. Like, they don't have to convince people that it is what it is. All they do, all they have to do is just be an artist. What I find as a black artist is that when something when we create something new, while it may be accepted in the black community, like off the bat getting it to become mainstream it kind of takes a moment because we have to convince people and we have to you know is this sell like is this marketable is it blah blah blah, blah. and then when they see that there's that it's marketable and they see that people are really enjoying it then you know they start filtering in all these other bodies that do black art um yeah that's what well, well, a, a, a thought i have about this is, is uh for a lot of mainstream audiences a lot of the wider world mm -hmm. the authentic of anything is hard to take mm -hmm. so you have individuals who are able to shave off the rough edges of it mm -hmm. so that it sounds kind of like it yeah but it's not quite the same it's, it's, it's the difference between eating a, a spaghetti out of a can chef rd which mm -hmm. lots and lots of people like or getting on authentically from an Italian uh, to take a prepared mm -hmm. uh, place spaghetti from an Italian restaurant, mm -hmm. uh, whereas people say, oh, this, is, this doesn't taste like it does. Mm -hmm. Or the mac and cheese. I'd rather have the mac and cheese out of the blue box. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't like it when it's cooked from scratch. Yeah, that that's crazy. I, t <laughs> I love this analogy because I, I say something similar in my classes uh, when I teach jazz. I say, please no box gumbo. I don't like box gumbo. My gumbo has to cook all day. My gumbo has to cook all day. And I have to plan a week before. And I need to make sure my roux is perfect. And if it's burnt, I have to start over. I don't want no box gumbo. Don't come in here and give me a little five, six, seven, eight, and then you whack your leg to your face. That's not, nobody's interested in that type of jazz. It's, it's unfortunate that people, that some people do want that light and airy experience. Um, I think some people are afraid of passion. I think people are afraid of, because when, when something is authentic, and something is coming from your soul and it's a part of your culture, you you have such an appreciation for it and a love for it that it, it comes off as loud. It comes off as like roar and this big thing. And if you're not of that culture, that can be kind of scary because like, oh, I don't know what this is. I don't have any connection to this. I don't understand why this person is so passionate about this. Um, you know? But if you want, if you want to experience you know, mac and cheese. If you want to experience spaghetti, if you want to experience gumbo, go where they're making spaghetti. Go where they're making fresh gumbo. Go where they're making fresh mac and cheese. Don't go to this 
place where you like this can bought stuff. Why would you do that? Because then it's filled with all these, thinking about the food analogy, it's filled with all these preservatives and things. It's filled with all these things that are not necessary or not really going to uplift um, the art or even help it evolve. It's just going to, you just, you, you get to listen to it, you get to eat it, you get to be a part of it, and then you get to leave. You don't really have to think about it afterwards. Like people are afraid of passion in general, I think. I think it's easy to come into a space and like, oh, that was a nice show. I get to go home to my puppy. Like people want that. I don't know why, but that's just where we are. So I know that you and, and, your, and your brother, who we, mm-hmm. we technically mentioned, Darby, you're yeah. twin, right? Yeah, it's my twin brother. And he's he's up in uh, Oregon. He's in New York now? He's in New York doing his master's in FA, yeah. And I'm, you know, doing bringing jazz to the concert stage in a way that hasn't been, yeah. I guess, since the 50s, really. Yeah. Uh, is that you know? Yeah. You, you know, you're not seeing going out to see Gus Giordano anymore. Yeah, Gus Giordano. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is a. Uh, is that something that you were interested in in pushing and pushing more pushing more the concert experience for jazz dance? Um. Sorry, I had to pause. I can I say I've been getting this question a lot. Really. Um, Everyone keeps asking me when I'm going to make work, when I'm going to present something. And for me, I care about it too much. I think like I like sometimes when I when I think about jazz, I don't sleep. Like I'm getting really like emotional because I, I don't sleep. Think when I think about jazz, I think about trying to be authentic and I think about my research in jazz because I'm not an expert in jazz and I definitely should have prefaced with that. I'm not an expert in jazz. I'm definitely, definitely still researching. I grew up on jazz music and gospel and R&B and black music, rock and roll, um, but I'm not an expert. And in my research and in what I'm learning about myself, how my body is in, in jazz dance and what I hope to relate to my students, um, and the pushback I get from people, I worry that the community is not ready for me to present work. I think it's going to be more of a stress than anything. So tell me about that pushback. What, 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 what is the issue? Well, the pushback is that no one's using, like there's very few people using jazz music in jazz classes or Black-based music in jazz classes. And I keep saying that Black dance and Black music are related. You cannot, and the, the issue is that I call it Black dance. But nobody wants to acknowledge that Black folks made jazz. And while it did welcome other folks into the technique, into the form, and, you know, in the music, all the things, like, we have to maintain the root of that. Otherwise, it becomes really bad. Kick your legs to your face. Five, six, seven, eight turns in second, which is fine. Tricks are fine. High bot ma's turns are fine. But the root of it, the lowness of it, the juiciness of it, the richness of it has to be... Um, rooted in Blackness and Black music. And if you really care about jazz, you have to be accepting of that. And because folks are getting stuck on this being a Black dance thing, they're not allowing it to flourish. They want to just, you know, keep it light and airy, call it contemporary jazz, call it, you know, lyrical jazz, call it, you know, all these things other than jazz. Well, you know... (laughs) And it's just be jazz. Teach jazz. If you you can uh, help me by it. I... I, I never hear jazz music yeah. in the jazz, actual jazz music, jazz class. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I hear is I hear mm-hmm. pop music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because... And I, 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 and I think that folks' conception of jazz is musical theater. Exactly, which yeah. is minstrelsy. Yeah. Yes. So the, the theater jazz of yeah. uh, Cats or something like that. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I don't know. I don't know how how to uh, broaden broaden the, the uh, field. And yeah, I, I I like cats as much as anybody. I I'm the one person who likes cats in the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, no, I <laughs> but, no, uh, no, I I think but, I think there is some some musical theater that is very prevalent, and it can definitely be used as a, as a political statement. And it's not it's not all minstrelsy. I have to I have to digress. But I think that the the musical theater, a lot of people that go take a jazz class, quote marks, are interested in. They're interested in the musical theater component. And really what it comes down to is the people that are teaching jazz are not educated in jazz and they, they have no interest in being educated in jazz. They do not listen to jazz music at home. Mm-hmm. They do not interpret. They do, they do not investigate jazz music. And so their jazz classes are just really watered down ballet classes. And what it is, it's like, oh, you're afraid of ballet. You don't really want to dive into jazz. So let's live in this middle space. And my issue is like, okay, just call it contemporary, but don't call it jazz because jazz is interpreting music. I use jazz music in my class because I enjoy jazz. Mm-hmm. I enjoy R&B. I enjoy rock and roll. I enjoy blues. I enjoy soul. Like I used to read the Franklin and, you know, uh, what I used to say, I used, I used so many, so many people in my class and I, I, it only makes sense to me. I don't understand why I would use anything else but that. We can use you know, EDM and, you know, things of that nature. But EDM is really just a watered down version of house and house is black music. Yeah. So if you're going to use, you know, the music, just use house because that is also black music. And that, that baseline can be used, but people are not educated and nobody wants to admit that they're not trained in jazz. And that's the bottom line. Cause if I went in here and started calling myself a ballet teacher and putting people in point shoes, everybody would have an issue, but I wouldn't do that because I'm respectful of that technique. I understand that there's a training and there's a perspective and there's things that I am still learning as an artist and I'm okay to still learn those things. But as someone who I believe is invested in the research and study of jazz and relaying what I'm learning on my personal time to my students, yes, I'm going to guard it. I'm going to be very intense about what is being thrown out here and what is going to be called jazz. I don't care if you white, black, purple, green. If you're teaching jazz, you're teaching jazz. Great. I don't care. But don't call it, don't call it jazz if it's not jazz. And yes, it needs to be reviewed. You need to be reviewed. Someone needs to challenge what you're teaching. They do need to do that. If, like I said, if someone was teaching ballet, if I, if I went to SFB and said, I teach ballet, they're going to look at me crazy. And they would have all the right to do that. And who am I to be upset about that? You know, at some point in my career, may I teach ballet? Who knows? I may go down that route at some point. Who knows? But that's that's in their realm to, to, to critique me on. If you're going to teach jazz, who is holding these people accountable? Who is making sure that their integrity, their yeah, their integrity is being withheld through teaching this technique? If not, don't call it jazz because my ancestors have died for this. Period. My ancestors have died for this, and people still play with it. Like it's this thing when people like it hasn't actually been a political device to save the world. You know, like, do you think that people understand or you think it's on purpose or do you think it's uh... I think it gets to this place of like, oh, my God, why is he attacking me? Oh, my God, why is he challenging me? No one likes to be challenged instead. Instead of. And that's the thing. It's like, are you a real artist? Because if you're an artist, you should be okay with being challenged because a challenge is a question and your art should bring multiple questions. My students always ask me questions. When I perform, people ask me questions. When choreographers make work, there's always going to be a question because they're artists, and you should welcome that. A challenge is a good thing. If you are, no, if you know in your heart of hearts that you're teaching jazz, any question should be 
you should be able to answer it. You should be able to, to, to you know, have a conversation about it. But be, what it is, is they know that they're not teaching jazz. They, a lot of people know that they're not teaching jazz and they don't know what to call it. So they just diminish it to, oh my God, well, I am teaching jazz. Why, why are you challenging me? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it's, it's not the case. It's not about you. It's about my ancestors and about my heritage. It's not about you. I don't even look at it. I don't care what you do. You can go, you can go teach somebody to jump rope in a pool. I don't care. So are, are, are these other forms of jazz and lyrical, lyr, other, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting forms in quotes, mm-hmm. but these other forms of jazz, mm-hmm. lyrical jazz, mm-hmm. contemporary jazz, jazz fusion, are, are these le- legitimate branches of the jazz tree or are they <clears throat> bastardizations of the art form? I think, hmm, this, this is a tricky question because like I am still researching um, my jazz. I think they use a lot of the codified um, jazz vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a lot of different forms of stylized jazz and co- vocabulary. I think what makes what makes jazz jazz is asymmetry, musicality. Um, we have like a, a weight a weightedness, a performance a performance outward. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of things. Like I, I know it when I see it. And I know when I don't see it. Um, lyrical jazz, I think it's just bad ballet. Like, I think jazz, because jazz, dance, and jazz music are interrelated, sometimes music has lyrics in it. So dancing to lyrics in jazz music or, like, soul music, like Aretha Franklin I taught to the teens two weeks ago, like, Aretha Franklin singing, I'm dancing to Aretha Franklin, she's singing lyrics, but I call that lyrical jazz? No, I would just call it jazz, because I'm dancing to Aretha Franklin, Ain't No Way, which starts off with this huge saxophone solo, which is a jazz instrument. Mm-hmm. So I don't need... I don't need this modifier. I don't need to modify it with lyrical jazz. I just need to call it jazz. And we're going to dance to the lyrics today, period. Um, c- contemporary jazz. You don't need to, I think, like it goes to that, goes back to that thing of like, people like a, to soften it. They don't want the raw version of it. You don't need to soften it with contemporary. Like, are you going to teach contemporary? Or are you going to teach jazz? Are you going to use elements for contemporary? You're going to use jazz. I think uh, Giordano used a lot of contemporary and modern elements in jazz, but that what was so, I think, prevalent in how he codified the work and how they still do the work um, is that jazz music is interrelated and, and the jazz line is related um, in the music. It doesn't get to this place of, you know, I don't know, something else. Um, I think once you start ignoring the music, it's not jazz anymore. Um, what else? Jazz fusion. I don't know what jazz fusion is because jazz is a fusion of things. I don't know what that is. I teach Afro-contemporary. Um, the reason I call it Afro-contemporary, and now I'm going to toot my own horn, the reason I call it Afro-contemporary is because I don't like the term Afro-jazz um, because Afro-jazz is redundant to me because yes. jazz is Afro. I, I, I agree. When yeah. I say Afro-contemporary, I am saying I'm going to use folkloric movements from West African and Caribbean dance styles. And I'm going to incorporate that into the contemporary styles that I do know. And it, to me, that is a fusion class. But jazz and it's, which essentially, essentially Afro-contemporary is jazz. They're literally jazz and Afro-contemporary, like equal sign. They equal each other. They're the exact same thing, except I think I dive a little bit farther. And I think the folks that teach Afro-contemporary in the places that I've been to, like Brazil, um, the people that I've studied, that I've, that I've danced with, that I've you know, danced in Cuba, is that they understand that there's a folklore, there's a weightedness and a rootedness um, that isn't present, that cannot, sometimes it's not present in standard um, jazz forms, uh, which way it can be, be there depending on who's teaching it to you. So does jazz need a modifier? Long-winded, that was a very long-winded answer. 
I do not think jazz needs a modifier. I think jazz is jazz and I know it when I see it. And people that study jazz know it when they see it. <laughs> so I think black folks know it when they see it. I think that we just know, we, we grew up with it, most of us. So black Americans. <laughs> do you see jazz dance coming back into the culture? I mean, I, you know, things like television commercials or uh, uh, I have this, this television show, the uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, for example. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I remember that very first uh, yeah. uh, opening sequence, which was mind-blowing, number one. It yeah. was filmed near a coffee shop that I hang out at. Where? Uh, yeah. yeah, down at uh, mm. uh, Stockton and, and Columbus in uh, San Francisco. Mm. And a lot of our friends, people mm. that you, both you and I know, Work. were in that bit. Work. I love that so much. But it, 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 it looked like a yeah. Came to me as yeah. a person who's ignorant of jazz dance as an idiom. Yeah. Do you see more of that happening uh, as you run across pop culture? Yeah, I think I think jazz, I think the original jazz was a social thing. It was something that you did with people and it, I think it somebody like, did the roadhouse. Yeah, somebody did the roadhouse and you know, you you know, Lindy Hop, you, you are kicking your leg up and you're doing all these new and that's an also misconception is that people think that when you don't have studio jazz, your legs don't go high. And that is not true. And Lindy Hop, one of the original, you know, forms of jazz, people kick their legs to the moon every time. Like there's a very high, men and women, very high importance placed on flexibility and, and jumping and hiding and lifting and spinning. It's always been a part of jazz, always. Um, but in, as far as after that pass, and that's like, goes into the stage like vaudeville and, you know, menstruacy, tragic, and then Broadway and all these things. Um, I think jazz has always been um, pushed and propelled towards like an audience and, you know, the pop, pop culture. I think Black culture in general, um, we think about our music and how our music has been played around the world. I think Black culture is popular culture. And I think the one of the biggest gifts that enslaved Black Americans gave to the world is jazz because that spurred into hip hop, rock and roll, you know, blues, soul, R&B, all these beautiful you know, sound moments um, and people dance to that. Um, and so because that is so much of pop culture, I think the dancing also goes hand in hand with pop culture. So that's what, what I think. And I, I don't have any like, you know, sources to back that up, but that's my theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how, how do we get to a point where we're able to communicate to, I mean, right now you, you teach in, Close sometimes you're teaching closed settings mm -hmm. where the people can't escape, yeah. and other times you're teaching in mm. an open class at a, mm. at a studio like yeah. Lines or Shaw Anderson yeah. or ODC. Yeah. How do you get those folks that the Lines, Shaw Anderson, and ODC to, to really understand what is this? And it's not just an opportunity to sweat, right? Um, well. I feel like I haven't really reached a conclusion on that. I feel like I'm still struggling um, with that. I I find less I struggle when I just demonstrate um, what I'm talking about because I know it's I know it's clear in my body and I'm very I have a very clear understanding of what I want to get across. Mm -hmm. um, so me demonstrating and people saying it in my body is like oh it makes sense. But I notice that when I don't when I don't demonstrate or if I don't if I don't like show it to the full extent all the time people aren't interested because then it becomes this whole racial conversation that nobody ever wants to have. Race in this country 
Like, oh my God, the world is going to end and we're still not going to talk about, you know, the diabolical things that happen with race. Nobody wants to talk about that. Um, and because jazz is such a political art form, people don't, and it's, you know, Blackness is a part of it, unfortunately. It's fortunate for me because my people made it. I love Black people. Um, because Blackness is a part of it, um, people don't want to have those conversations. People don't often want to, like, learn the history of it. But for me, I would rather have, you know, three students learn the history of it and go tell three other people than have a room full of people and not talk about it at all. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't care about kicking your leg to your face. Go to somebody else. Like, you can go, you know, Go take rhythmic gymnastics or, you know, go flip, go be a cheerleader if that's what you care about. For me, like if you're going to do jazz, you're going to learn, you're going to learn the research that I'm researching. You're going to, I'm going to talk about it because this doesn't make any sense. Like it's not, it's not empty. It's full, you know, it's a full technique. It's a, and it's still evolving. So it certainly is a, it's a full history that I, I find it was fascinating as far as the music side of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I guess, as you know, that uh, it's the primary music I use in my yeah. in, in my own work, and trying to uh, trying to bring that to the larger community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't know how that's don't know how that's working. Yeah. Just, well, just keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. I mean, I don't know how to be anything else but me, and I feel like I've I've tried to fit in, and I've tried to. Um, for lack of a better term, just blend and, you know, assimilate. And I realized that there's nothing about me that is going to assimilate. Like, it's just not in the cards for me to do that. And I thank God for that. And it's it's, it's made me appreciate my culture so much because I think it's literally the, like, a mag- it's magical. Like, it's so magical. I think Black culture, Black music, Black dance is endless. Like, it's endless. Like, it, it keeps transforming and evolving and making itself new again and there's nothing like it it's like nothing like it so well i could spend another two hours yeah. discussing this with you and i and maybe yeah well it might be well. yeah okay. so thank you so much for coming thank in and for, and for uh chatting with me i really appreciate your time you. uh all i can say is keep up the good fight Arvion, and uh, i will do so as well yeah thank you Thank you for listening today. Mod Pod, the Museum of Dance podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other discerning streaming services. Remember to subscribe and rate us. Give us five stars because we are fabulous. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Museum of Dance is a nonprofit organization. We work to preserve and contextualize the universal art of dance for the greater public through innovative exhibitions, diverse educational programs, and accessible archival collections. Explore what moves you at museumdance.org. You can sign up here for emails, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram.